Father God, as we prepare to hear what you have put on my heart, I just pray that it wouldn't be from me, it would be from you, Lord, and that anything that is simply from me would just go right over our heads, but that your word and your truth would remain in our hearts. Father, may we not get tied up in controversy, but may we choose to wrestle with the challenges that we face. Help us, Lord, in all things to follow you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may want to pull out a Bible if you have one and turn it to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is in the second half of the Bible. I want to kind of start by saying, like many people, we've had a bit of a cold go through our household and I'm, I'm a little stuffed up and uh, I don't know if, if Glenn's going to let me uh, make me f- sound good or not, but I understand if you can't. And part of, of head colds is that you don't always think straight. And so as I left the house and I got here, I realized that I had forgotten my PowerPoint for my sermon. I still have the sermon, just don't have the PowerPoint. And so we're ha- going to have to go old school today. This is a Bible. <laughs> and we're going to be looking at spiritual gifts. And I'll read out all the scriptures that we're going to be looking at. And so if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12... That's right after kind of what I had just read about the Lord's Supper. But just before we get to the scripture passage today, last week we looked at the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Jesus follower. And just like each week, those messages are available on our website. And so if you'd like to go back and check those out, you're welcome to do that. Today we're building on this idea by looking more closely at the specific role of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit gives gifts to believers for the good of the church and the community. And this is going to start a mini-series within our larger series, Being Church, a mini-series on the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to us. And the overarching idea of this is that if you are a Jesus follower, if you have surrendered your life to Him, you have the Holy Spirit within you, and He has given you gifts to use within the church and within the community. And we need to be using the gifts that each of us have so that the body of Christ can be healthy and so that the kingdom of God can come to our community and our world. It's not enough for simply a professional Christian to use his or her gifts. Every single one of us is an important and invaluable part of the team called Christ followers. And so you have been enlisted into the team into the Jesus team. And the great thing is that we actually know that at the end of the game, our team wins. But as we're playing this game called life, we need to be using all of the resources that we have, and spiritual gifts are included in that. Paul talks about this idea of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians, starting in verse 1. He says this, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who speaks by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. 
There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives to each one just as he determines. And so today, as we start with an introduction to spiritual gifts... I want to be incredibly candid at the very beginning that within different groups of Christians, there are different ideas of what and how spiritual gifts are used. And I want us to to look at some of these. And as we look at them, I'll share with you kind of where I land there. But if you land somewhere other than where I land, please know that that's absolutely okay. Here at Chalmers, we believe that there are essentials and there are unessentials. There are things that we say, you know what, if you want to be a Jesus follower, these are kind of the fundamentals. You need to believe that Jesus is Lord. You need to believe that what is written in Scripture is what we should be following. You need to believe that Jesus died and rose again. These are foundational beliefs. And if you're not there, that's fine. But we would say, we want you to get there. Now, there are other beliefs that some of us hold very strongly to that as Christians we differ on. And that's because Scripture isn't crystal clear on everything. And so I'm going to share a bunch of Scripture that some people will have looked at and said, yes, because of these scriptures, this is what I believe. And I want to encourage you to go back and to think, what do I believe about this? And more importantly, instead of just what I believe about this, why do I believe what I believe? And the why we believe what we believe should always be based on scripture. And so today we're going to look at two of the I would call them kind of polarizations when we look at spiritual gifts. Next week, Pastor Bonnie Mayer, who's down with the kids today, she's going to be talking to you about the need to, to see unity within the church, even when we are different, and how even with the different gifts that we have, we can still be one body. Today, I want to look at some of the differences that the denominations that different people might have. The first idea that we're going to look at here about spiritual gifts is the idea that some people believe that if you have the Holy Spirit in you, then you automatically have one of the specific gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is the gifts of speaking in tongues. Now, the idea of speaking in tongues is that that the Holy Spirit produces in you a new language, a language that you don't know that is a way of praying or speaking that is simply produced by the Holy Spirit. And when we read from 1 Corinthians 12, 
Paul does talk about this gift of speaking in different tongues or different, different languages. Now, there are some Christians that, especially in the charismatic denominations, that would look at specific texts and say, when we look in the, in the New Testament, it seems that speaking in tongues naturally comes out when people are given the Holy Spirit. And they would look at different texts, and we'll look at those in a minute, and they would say, because of these texts, we should believe that if you have the Holy Spirit, you will speak in tongues. And so if you don't speak in tongues, then maybe you don't have the Holy Spirit. And as we talked about last week, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you're not a Christian. And so... We're going to look at some of these scriptures. First one is in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, and that is from, the, from Pentecost. So when the Holy Spirit first comes on the disciples, Acts 2, verse 4 says this, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We're going to kind of run through a few of these, so if you can't catch up, know that you can go back to them. Acts 10, verses 44 to 47, is another instance where people are given the Holy Spirit and start speaking in tongues. This is what it says. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of these being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And then in Acts 19, verses 5 to 6, again we see uh, it saying this. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. So they heard the gospel. They were baptized in the name of Jesus. And then when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. And so there are three instances that are very clear instances where people receive the Holy Spirit, and from receiving the Holy Spirit, they begin to speak in tongues. Now from these instances, there are people who would say, see, this is what it should be like for all of us. We all should receive the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. Now last week I mentioned two concepts. The idea of, is this normative or is this narrative? A different way of saying it is, is this descriptive or is this prescriptive? The one being, is this, because this is what happened in these instances, this is how it should be, or is it simply this is telling us what happened in certain instances. Those who would say that you need to speak in tongues in order to verify that you have the Holy Spirit would say this is prescriptive. You receive the Holy Spirit, you speak in tongues. They received the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues. I'm going to suggest to you that it's descriptive and that receiving the Holy Spirit does not necessitate that you must speak in tongues. And there's a few reasons for this. Number one, there is no explicit mention in the New Testament that Jesus ever spoke in tongues. When Jesus heals, when Jesus prays, if Jesus 
spoken tongues or if speaking in tongues was a mandatory part of Jesus's ministry, then one of the gospel accounts surely would have written out and Jesus started speaking in a language that we couldn't understand. But we don't see that. And so whether Jesus spoke in tongues or not, we can't say. But it isn't described in his ministry. And I would suggest, therefore, that it isn't something that is prescriptive to his followers. Number two, Paul, who is the main teacher after Jesus is ascended to heaven, Paul never teaches that speaking in tongues should accompany receiving the Holy Spirit. He never tells us that this is what should happen. And again, people who would say, well, it just automatically happens, would would probably counter that by saying he didn't have to teach on it because it always just happened. I'm going to suggest to you that because there are other instances in Acts where it doesn't happen, that if this was a prescriptive idea, if this was normative, then Paul should have taken some time to teach on it. But he never does. In fact, his teachings seem to say that not everyone speaks in tongues. And here are a few of them. 1 Corinthians 14.5. Paul says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. He's saying, it's a good thing to speak in tongues. And so if you speak in tongues here, I want you to know it's a good thing. Paul says, it's a good thing. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. But I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. And just so you know, we will future a message a little bit more about all these different gifts, like tongues and prophecy. We'll go into describing them and explaining what they are a little bit more. Today, I'm trying to help us say, if you don't speak in tongues, it's not the end of the world. If you do speak in tongues, that's great too. But Paul's saying that he wishes everyone would speak in tongues, but obviously that's not the norm. In another place, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which we read, he says, To one there is given the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit. He's saying these different people have these different gifts. It's not that everybody gets the same one. Different people have these different gifts. He continues, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another interpreting those tongues. Again, when he talks about it this way, he doesn't say, but all have been given the gift of tongues. He says to one is given the gift of tongues, to another is given the miraculous signs, to another the gift of healings, to another the gift of wisdom, to another the gift of knowledge. Still one more verse later on in 1 Corinthians 12, which we didn't read. Paul almost seems to recognize that this is going to be a question. He seems to recognize that there are going to be people who say, well, but what if... I don't have all these spiritual gifts. What does that mean about me? And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 27 to 31, this is what he says. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. You all are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of the body of Christ. And God has placed in the church 
first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, of different kinds of tongues. Then he asks the question, are all apostles? And from what he says, we would say no. Are all prophets? Well, the answer is no. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? Do all have the gift of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Again, he seems to be saying this isn't normative. To be given a gift of the Holy Spirit is normative for believers. But for every believer to have the exact same gift is not normative. Number three, there are nine different conversion stories in the book of Acts that talk about the person receiving the Holy Spirit, and it does not say that they speak in tongues. It does not describe them speaking in tongues. Whether they do or not, we don't know. But it does not describe them speaking in tongues. And so because some describe speaking in tongues and others do not, again, that causes me to say this is narrative, not normative. This is descriptive, not prescriptive. I want to say there is some teaching by Jesus on this, not very much, but for those who would say this is prescriptive, that all of us should speak in tongues, there is a scripture in the Gospels, which is from Mark chapter 16, at the very end, verses 15 to 20. And this is what it says. Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Now for that scripture alone, it can seem very convincing. Jesus says that believers will do these things. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, they will not be hurt. And they will place their hands on the sick and they will get well. That seems fairly clear. I want to suggest that despite that scripture, I I would still put my hat in the circle of people who would say that this is descriptive, not prescriptive, that not everyone must speak in tongues in order to have the Holy Spirit. That is mainly because this last section of Mark is debated by scholars about whether it was in the original 
part of Mark or not. Um, And so if you have your Bible and you look at Mark chapter 16, about halfway through chapter 16, there will probably be like some dots, and then it'll say the first ending of Mark, and then the shorter ending of Mark, and then the longer ending of Mark. All that to say, there is debate within scholars about whether this was Jesus' original words or whether this was included by a later editor who kind of said, well, this is what we're seeing. We're seeing Christians doing these things. Therefore, Jesus probably told them that they would do these things and so added it in. I'm not sure where I stand on that. I think I would say that whether it was later editor or whether it was Jesus himself, those words are still very much scripture. But I would say that I want to look at the whole of scripture and say, what does the whole of scripture say, not just one verse? And this is the only place that Jesus talks about speaking in tongues. Later in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, but he doesn't talk about speaking in tongues. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That was Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is what I would suggest to you. That as Christ followers who have the Holy Spirit in us, we are given power. Some of that power may be to heal the sick. Some of that power may be to drive out demons. Some of that power may be to speak in different tongues. Some of that power may be to pick up snakes. Some of that power may be to drink poison and not get hurt. I'm not going to rush out and find a deadly snake. That's just where I'm at. I certainly will place my hands on people and pray that they will be healed. I certainly will place my hands on people and pray for demons to be released and sent to the abyss. I certainly will use my faith to say God has given me power to be his witnesses in King Carden and in Bruce County and in Ontario and to the ends of the earth. But for me, I would not say that we all need to be speaking in tongues in order to have the Holy Spirit. If you speak in tongues, that is great. And that is a wonderful thing and a gift that God has given you. But to say that we all should speak in tongues, I think is counter to what we see throughout the whole scriptures. And we can debate on this and we can disagree on this. And if you disagree on it, I'm very glad. And and you can certainly hang your hat on, on certain scriptures and I'll hang my hat on other scriptures. I'm going to transition us to the next uh, controversy and then we'll kind of wrap things up because this first controversy kind of was at the one end that says everyone should have a specific spiritual gift. On the other end of the, of the spectrum, there are people who would say that there are spiritual gifts that no longer matter or, or, or are no longer part of the church. These are the spiritual gifts of prophecy and of healing and of miracles and of tongues and of interpretation of tongues. And a group of people who are very much Christians, who are very much wanting to follow Jesus, just like those who would say everyone should speak in tongues, are people who want to follow Jesus well. 
there's a group of people who would like to follow Jesus well, who say, some of these things don't happen anymore, people. And so we shouldn't try to speak in tongues. We shouldn't try to lay hands on people. We shouldn't try to see miracles in our lives. This group of people are called the cessationists, coming from the word ceasing, where there are some of these spiritual gifts that no longer happen. They ceased. And the idea here is that those spiritual gifts were there in the early church during the apostolic era. So when the apostles were first proclaiming the gospel, certain gifts were needed in order to verify their teaching. Just in the same way that Jesus taught and then confirmed his teaching through miracles, the apostles needed miracles and tongues and prophecy to confirm that their teaching was valid. And cessationists would would argue um, a few things here. They would say that, first and foremost, God's revelation is complete. That God's revelation is complete in Jesus and with the canonization of the Bible, Old and New Testament. And so we shouldn't be expecting any new revelation from God through prophecy, because what we have in the Bible is complete. Just so you know, I would agree with that. I would agree that there's a reason why my sermons are not on the same par as Scripture, and I'm very glad about that. I would suggest that what I write and what I proclaim to you still is God's Word given to me for you, but it's not on the same par as Scripture. And so even though some of you sometimes kind of put your message notes in your Bible, don't read them as Bible, okay? And so God's revelation is complete. And so they would say that spiritual gifts like, like prophecy, where people are given new revelation, shouldn't happen anymore. They would also say that the apostles needed these signs and wonders because they were starting the church. However, once the church foundation was secure, signs and wonders and miracles disappeared as the apostles died off. They would also say that there are some scriptures that they would interpret as saying that, that signs and wonders and tongues and, and whatnot have ceased, such as 1 Corinthians 13. This is one of the ones that we, we read at weddings a lot that really has very little to do with weddings, but a whole lot to do with spiritual gifts. And it says this, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection in a mirror, but now we will see face to face. Now we know in part, then shall we, we shall know fully, even as we are fully known, and the confetti is thrown. And so they would look at this scripture and they would say, it says prophecies will cease, tongues will be stilled. And so maybe that's talking about today. I would look at that scripture and I would say, I think that's actually talking about when Jesus comes back. 
And so we would disagree on the interpretation of the scripture, but they're still looking at scripture, which is a very good thing. And then the last thing that the cessationists would say is that the types of miracles and the healings and the tongues and the prophecies that we see today seem to be different in league to what we see in the New Testament. For example, we don't see a whole lot of people who are lame walking or blind seeing or the dead being raised. We pray for people who have colds and back pain and sore shoulders, and those are good things. But it almost seems to be two different levels there. Similarly, they would claim that those who speak in tongues today aren't speaking in tongues like the New Testament talks about, but were simply making sounds on their own power without the use of the Holy Spirit. And that prophecy is no longer revelation from God, but simply God promptings and impressions. This is the cessationist view. Again, I want to say I'm not a cessationist. Maybe some of you are. And I think that we can still worship together. And I still think we can still work together. And, and there are many people in my life that I very much respect who hold this view. And I would say, I think you're wrong. And they would say, I think you're wrong. And we would agree to disagree. I would be what you would call a continuationist. Meaning that I believe that all of the spiritual gifts mentioned in the Bible are not only for the apostolic age, but also until Christ comes back. That everything that we read in Scripture, including, especially including, the spiritual gifts, are for us as well as for them. And there are many reasons why I believe that. Number one, in the Bible, we don't just see apostles, those twelve, using spiritual gifts. As we mentioned before, there were lots of people who spoke in tongues, and they weren't all apostles. There were lots of people who prayed for healing, and healing happened. There are lots of people who did miracles that were not those 12 apostles. In the book of Luke, anyone who was doing the the New Testament challenge, we just finished the book of Luke. And in the book of Luke, there's an indication where Jesus sends out not just the 12, but a large group of people. And they come back and they say, Jesus, even the demons obeyed us and they were sent out. That's amazing. It wasn't just the 12. And so we see this power from the Holy Spirit on more than just the 12. Number two, the purpose of all spiritual gifts, of all spiritual gifts in Scripture is the edification of the church and of the community. We are given Spiritual gifts, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, for the common good. First of all, this is super important. If you're kind of zoning out right now, focus back in for a second. And then you can zone out again, okay? This is super important. And if, if we don't get this, everything else that we talk about, about spiritual gifts, won't make sense. We are given spiritual gifts, not for our own glory, not for our own patting on the back, not for us to think, wow, I must be an amazing spiritual person. We are given spiritual gifts to help others, to support the church, to care for one another well. One of the things I heard that has struck me, and I I think it's absolutely amazing, so if you get this, this is all that you have to go home with. 
When someone has the spiritual gift of healing, who is that gift for? Is it for the person who puts their hand on you and you are healed? Or is it for the person who receives healing because of that gift? I would suggest to you that the gift of healing is not for the one who prayed for healing, but for the one who receives healing. In the same way, the gift of miracles is not for the person who performs the miracle, but for the person who sees the miracle and believes. The gift of tongues is not for the person who speaks in that tongue, but for the person who understands the message that God is giving them through that tongue or language. The gift of knowledge is not for the person who tells it, but for the person who hears it, understands, and follows Christ. When we think about spiritual gifts, it's not for us to think, wow, aren't we awesome? But for us to encourage and to bless and to edify the church and the community. You may now go back to like zoning out. And so if that's the point, if the point of spiritual gifts is for the edification of the church, then why would God limit some of that for different ages? doesn't make sense. We, here in North America, 2017, we need as much encouragement and support and edification as they needed in the first century. Number four, there are prophecies that talk about the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to us. Joel 2, 28-32 is one of them, and it's actually, and I'll read it to you, but it is also in Acts 2, and this is what Peter says to those who have received the Holy Spirit. Joel 2 says this, And afterward I will pour out my Spirit on all people. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on certain people for certain circumstances. Samson was one of them, the really strong guy with the big long hair. He was one person who was given the Holy Spirit for a time to be really strong. But when he sinned, the Holy Spirit left him. In the New Testament, after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes on us and doesn't leave us. Afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on your servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and bitterness of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So again, I want to say it one more time. If you find yourself with the belief that certain spiritual gifts have ceased, or if you find yourself with the belief that everyone should be speaking in tongues, as long as you go back to Scripture and say, this is why I believe that, that's great, and I think that you can, you can certainly have a home here at Chalmers because we're a mutt church, and we have people who disagree with each other, and we can still share communion together, and we can still work together, and that is important. You don't have to agree with me on everything that I say. Please hear that. As long as you go back to Scripture. And if you do agree with what I say, don't agree with me because, oh, I'm Pastor Brian, so you should agree with me. Never, never, ever do that. Always go back to Scripture and read it for yourself. 
and say, this is why I believe it, not because Brian is so eloquent with his words. This is why I believe it. Lastly, I want to ask this question. If all spiritual gifts are supposed to be normative within the church, including what I call the spooky booms, the ones that seem like incredibly supernatural, and all spiritual gifts are supernatural, but the tongues and the prophecy and the gifts of healing and the miracles, all these things, if they're supposed to be normative within the church, why do we see them not as often here in North America? I want to encourage you that throughout most of the rest of the world, spiritual gifts in all flavors are being used in amazing ways. That in places like Africa and Asia, people are receiving healing, people are rising from the dead, people are speaking in tongues, people are interpreting those tongues, people are getting words of knowledge, people are serving with their gifts, people are giving generously, people are doing amazing things with the power of the Holy Spirit in and through them for God's glory. Why is it in North America that we don't see that? I want to suggest three reasons. Number one, we don't expect them. We don't expect them to happen. I have a cold today. I took cold meds for my cold. I also want to tell you that I prayed for healing for my cold and had other people pray for healing for my cold. And at this point, I haven't been fully supernaturally healed, but I know that I will be. But there are some of us that don't expect healing, don't expect miracles in our lives. And I want to encourage you that as Christ followers, maybe our first instinct should be to pray and to ask God to help us, to ask God to heal us, to ask God to work a miracle in our life. And only secondarily, go to the hospital or take meds or or go and get our car repaired or those kind of things. Those things aren't bad by any means. Any means. As I said, I took meds today so that I wasn't like dripping up here. But we should be praying for healing. and, And there are people in this church who have experienced healing because people prayed for them. And there are people who have not yet experienced healing despite people praying for them. There are people who speak in tongues and there are people who don't speak in tongues. There are people who have seen miracles happen in their lives and others who haven't. But I wonder if one of the reasons why we don't see it happening is because we don't expect it to happen. Number two, I think that sometimes we don't pray for them to happen. We don't ask God, God, do I have the gift of tongues? Would you like me to pray for this person who is sick? Would you like me to pray that the loaves and fishes are multiplied? Would you like me to pray for these things? And because we don't expect them to happen, sometimes we don't ask God to do what only God can do. And I think number three, When they do happen, we disregard them. When we are healed, we say, oh, well, that was lucky. Luck has nothing to do with that, friends. When we do see a miracle, sometimes we say, well, that was a coincidence. Instead of saying, wow, God is doing something amazing here. 
So I want to encourage you today to know that you have the power of God living in you if you are a follower of Jesus here. You have the power that raised the dead living in you. You have the power of God in you today, right now. Like that video that we showed last week about the, about the tractor, sometimes we push and pull that tractor because we don't actually believe that there is power in the engine. But if we would only hop into the driver's seat and turn the key and enjoy the ride that God has given to us, we can see him do amazing things in and through our lives. And I want to encourage you to start looking for what God may want to do through you this week. Let's pray about that. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each and every person here. Lord, I thank you for those who are here today and are just checking things out. And Lord, I just pray that they would not be scared off by some of this weird talk. But Lord, we also recognize that if we serve a God that we believe is infinitely powerful, and if we believe your word that you have given us that power to be your witnesses in this world, then Lord, I pray that you would help us to turn the key, to sit in the driver's seat, and to enjoy the ride. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do what only you can do and to have faith that you may choose to do that through us. And Lord, we thank you that as a church, we can disagree on things. We can have different beliefs and we can not agree, but we are united under you and for you. And Lord, I thank you for those in this room who would disagree with what I've shared today. And I pray that you would help them to go back into your word. Lord, for those who have agreed with what I've shared, help them to go back into your word. That we might wrestle and pray and ask you to help us understand what you have to say to us. And more importantly, Lord, that you would help us to live with that faith that you want to use me that you want to use us for your will. And Father, may we, your servants, be willing to say yes to you, God. Here I am. Use me. Send me. That our answer would be yes to you even before you ask the question. And Lord, if we're not there, I pray that you would bring us to that spot. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.